to get their process down a little bit. Well, they've been there long enough. It's time to fucking get your process down. Let's call them northbound coffee. Because <laughs> hey, you have, you have a, I asked for a double shot yeah. and she handed this to me. I'm like, how big are your shots? She's like, well, our one shots are two. So that's four. Yeah. So you have four shots of espresso there. Coffee shot math. Maybe as much as is in one of those cans of fucking nuclear waste that you drink. <laughs> Whatever you call that I stuff. I haven't had one of those either. I'm not that consistent with any of the uh, the things that I do. Very inconsistent. It's very you know, But you know what? When you keep it, when you keep it, um, you know, keep it, mix it up, you know? Yeah. People like that. Yeah. I, right? I like to mix it up. Unpredictability. Uh, here's something unpredictable. <laughs> no pun intended. I was, my wife last night was trying to uh, dictate to Siri something on right. her watch. Uh-huh. And uh, I waited till she finished. I didn't know who, what, who she was talking to or what she was sending. But in the, the little pregnant pause before you hit send after a dictation, right. I thought it'd be funny to, to yell penis. Of course. So that did. whatever it said, so. it would then say penis. And then she said, you asshole. That was, going, that was a work email. <laughs> and I thought, that's, Pe- that's called penis bombing. Penis bombing. I just invented it. So talk about stream of consciousness. Wow. Uh, I'm swimming upstream so, here. Uh, you know, it's a you could start a movement. Yeah, a movement of penis I mean, bombing across I the this, land. I thought this was so funny and brilliant. I actually wrote it on the outline. You uh, you like penis jokes? Penis jokes. It works with my kids. I mean, it works with everybody. Does it work with your wife? Does she? I bet. I bet she has, knows a couple of good penis jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> We're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, Nat X returns from his family trip to the belly of the booze beast, an all-inclusive Mexican resort. And we celebrate our one-year anniversary together with you on a very special edition of RMA. Wow, this is one year? We've been doing this for one fucking year? In fact, to the day. Really? Uh, according oh, to, we started on like a Tuesday or something. But on Podbean, it says our first episode, which is nice to meet you. All right. Uh, August 20th, 2020. Do we get some kind of flair from Podbean for this? Besides, <laughs> I did notice they sent the bill right they away for us bill. to re-up. And, um, so buy some t-shirts. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Visit I us. Wait. Yeah, that's next. Didn't Visit I, us at middleagesrecovery.com. Oh, yeah, okay. Where you can listen to the show, buy merch, and tell us your story. We got the new t-shirts in. I don't know if we have a way for you folks to buy them yet. So We have a way. <laughs> I just have to implement yeah, the we way. Need to, we need to get on that. Because yeah. I have a box of t-shirts, and I have a scale. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Triple beam balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually funny, because um, I had the scale out yesterday, because the one person that ordered one of our uh, first-generation t-shirts, I, was, I sent it out yesterday, <laughs> and... Uh, I left the scale out. My wife came down. She's like, "Why is the, where's the scale from? <laughs> you, you know, looking at looking cross-eyed at Dimitri. Like, <laughs> Why is it set to grams? <laughs> uh, oh, you took off your shoes and socks. You're sitting in here barefoot. I, you I, fucking hippie. I have itching feet. 
Oh, I didn't need to know that. I'm sorry. Thank they you. itch. I thought you were doing that in celebration of the fact that Dead & Company is at City Field tonight. No. Why aren't we going? We could interview some of the um, we sh- sober guys I sh- I there. Say, you know. Man on the street. Here, here's why. Because last time I went to Dead & Company at City Field and tried to get in, it took like an hour and a half to get through security. Now they're checking everyone's vaccination status. So I think we would have to get there at like two in the afternoon in order to get in by seven o'clock. Tonight. How do you smuggle in... Um, Acid. I guess it's kind of small. You can put, you put it in your wallet. It's a little piece of paper. You always heard that urban legend. Well, I did. And you tell me if you've, you heard this too when you were in high school doing acid. They would always say, I knew this guy. He had a sheet of acid in his front pocket on his shirt. And it was raining. And he was running away from the cops, man. And like <laughs> it rained. And then like the acid, man, he did like 24 hits and he didn't even know it. He's still tripping to this day. Yeah, well, I bet he knew it after a couple hours. <laughs> and that guy was the that original was member of the <laughs> Pink Floyd. You always heard Sid that Barrett. story, right? Yeah. Did that really happen? I remember um, hearing that and thinking that sounded like an urban legend. Sid was one of the, I, I don't know if that really happened, but uh, you know, to digress, Sid Barrett uh, took a lot of acid and he was the original guitar player for Pink Floyd. And, right. and he put out a couple of really good little acoustic albums afterwards called The Madcap Laughs and Barrett. Uh, but he kind of lost his cookies and he was one of those unfortunate souls who had probably had a pre-existing um, genetic predisposition yeah. to schizophrenia and the acid sure. just kind of brought it out because that'll do it. He showed up during the uh, Wish You Were Here uh, recording sessions and Gilmore like didn't recognize him. He came in and he was like fat and he said something about lamb chops and then he wandered off. But Interesting. he died a few years ago. Uh-huh. Interesting character. Anyway, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and tell us your story. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Get the latest news, updates, and meet other RMA monsters on our private, unsearchable Facebook group found easily on our public-facing Facebook page. Can I just say something? Public-facing Facebook page. Let me just... I had to change something, and I thought this was funny. I couldn't leave it, but originally, I had written... Get the latest updates and meet our blah, blah, from our private, unsearchable Facebook group, <laughs> found easily by searching Recovery in the Middle Ages on Facebook. And I'm like, I can't write that. <laughs> so I changed it to to what it is now. And I think yes. it, because it was... <laughs> Since nobody listens to this part anyway, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about okay, it. Okay, good. Yeah, it's like, it's like the ads people forward through the ads. I wish we had some ads. We will get some ads soon. Uh, great reviews will be read on the air. Please log on to your favorite podcast app. Apple Podcasts is best. Something about the English in that. Give us five stars and say something nice to massage Mike's delicate ego. That would be me. Uh, yeah, just do that. We've, we've, we've sort of hit a plateau with star reviews, I noticed. Yeah. Um, guys, Even as listeners increase. Listen, we have 360-something people on our private group, which is so awesome, and 62 reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever. But we have thousands of listeners. We do, and please God knows how that give happens. us. I don't know. Please <laughs> give us a review. Uh, it really helps. It means that we pop up more. You know, the uh, algorithm looks at those types of things, and um, yes, please do it. And we like to read them. It gives us something funny to read. And if you head on over, if you mosey over, as they say in the West, over to our uh, webpage, middleagesrecovery.com, there's a little form you can fill out. Yeah. That's your story. Your story. You tell that story you to us. You tell a long story or a shit story. Yeah. Tell a shit story. A medium-sized story is probably best for, for the, our content management. I like listening <laughs> to shit stories when I uh, nosh on my yogurt pretzels. Okay. It's good. We're going to do voices today? I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, is this the time we should mention the story thing, or did you want to do that when we read the other story? Well, um, the other story. Okay. So we did have a short, uh, t- uh, your story. You know, we actually got uh, one. Uh, well, do you want to read that? Well, what, what should they do finally? The oh. best way to share the show. Oh, yeah. The best way to share the show. What is it, do you think? It's well, to share it with a friend. Share it with a friend, please. Yeah. Uh, if you get something out of it, share the love. And help grow the RMA movement. movement. <laughs> uh, uh, did you have? Do you have trouble with your RMA movements in uh, Mexico? <laughs> I didn't get sick. <laughs> my my get son sick. has some RMA movement issues when he comes back from Mexico. Um, <laughs> before we move on, we have a new "Tell Us Your Story." Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's, um, it's a novella, really. It's on the website. <laughs> you fill it out, and we read it. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, so we, we got a form. Uh, this person's name is Novella. Novella says, Hey, defrost frozen foods in minutes, <laughs> safely and naturally, with our Thaw King, 50% off for the next 24 hours only, and worldwide shipping for a limited time. All the best, Novella. Thank you so much, Thanks, Novella. Thanks, Novella, for sharing your experience, uh, strength, and, and tips on how to defrost frozen food with well, us. We appreciate that, but we'd really like your recovery stories or crazy addiction, something, something besides Thaw King. Uh, and so thank you, Novella, for that. Um, Speaking of addiction stories, um, yeah. you may remember, do you remember a few weeks ago? I kind of do a little bit. We did a two-part series on uh, Joseph Naus's books. Yes. Uh, Straight Pepper Diet and the Falls Graph Revelation. Yes, yes. I love those books. I've re- uh, listened to them uh, twice each. So before we drop the episode, I reached out to Mr. Naus uh, to see if he would be willing to come on and do an interview with us. And uh, I didn't receive any response uh, because you and I had hatched this idea that maybe we should do is review people's books and then tell them we did the reviews and then they'll agree to come on. Right. Right. Because it's like then they've already heard us talk, hopefully positively, about their work. Let's hope. So I finally get a response from Joseph Nass. And? And he says uh, he thought I was spam originally, which is why he didn't respond to me. So I guess I have to switch up my email uh, but in a, in a technique, but in a weird bit of synchronicity, he was responding to a Facebook message I sent him three weeks ago, the day after I sent him a follow-up email. Huh. So That's persistent, being persistent, yeah. consistent. But it kind of blew his mind. And, he, yeah. and uh, I said, well, you know, I would love it if you'd come on and do an interview. And he went back to our podcast yeah. and listened to both episodes that yeah. we did on his. And he said, guys, I... Uh, I had plans this morning when they didn't include listening to 180 minutes of recovery yeah. in the Middle Ages, which he apparently did. And it was very nice of him. He said some very complimentary things. Yeah. He said that we got the, we nailed the book. We got it right. Yeah. He was impressed with the position. And uh, as half apology for blowing off my original email and half, I guess, um, reward for giving him a good review, he gave us a bunch of free download codes for the audiobooks of Straight Pepper Diet and uh, The False Graph Revelation. And I would encourage any of you guys uh, to go check out those books because they're really good, especially if you're, I mean, they're, they're applicable to everybody, but if you've sort of lived a, the middle-class life of a lawyer or a business person that's, you know, had your addiction torpedo you in the middle of yeah, your career. Upper middle-class college-bound yeah. guy with everything going for him, what does he do? Uh, and he's, it's, it's, uh, it's witty, it's funny. So anyway, what I'd like to do is um, share, share that wealth since Nat and I have both already purchased yeah. Joseph Mouse's books. We want to distribute these uh, codes to you guys. So the first five people yeah. that send us a Your Story will be rewarded with free download codes for either the False Graph 
uh, Revelation or Straight Pepper Diet, depending on which one you want. I mean, if you haven't done the first one, you should probably do that one first, but yeah, yeah. fill it out on the form on- online or yeah. um, middleagesrecovery.com. So this is our yeah. first contest yes. coming on our year anniversary. And, and I could, can I tell you, it's, it's so validating, you know, because we do this show and, you know, we pretty much assume that nobody is going to listen, which we're, <laughs> you know, the evidence is kind of going against that these days. But uh, the fact that we, you know, spent a lot of time looking at these books, talking about them, reading them really and internalizing them, and then to hear from the author and get a positive feedback, it's just really cool. I have to as, say. as people pleasers, it, it really warmed our hearts. I love uh, to please people. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, um, I wanted to say, before I get into the Mexico trip, because today we're going to do a little different format of the show. It's going to be a couple of big topics um, and a little bit of life update, because my life has been almost a show in itself this past uh, week. I think you got that backwards. Which one? You said it's going to be a couple couple of big topics and then a little bit on the life update. Oh, life update first. Yeah. Um, But firstly, I really wanted to make a bigger deal out of this anniversary show. my plan, you know, the best laid plans so and so on and so forth. But like, I would have loved to get some of our guests to get, you know, Aaron Moore and maybe get Dave from Dopey and Jed from Church and Other Drugs and all the people that, you know, uh, have come on the show and, uh, you know, been cool to us and all of that. But it didn't uh, come together. Um, but I, I did write a little thing <laughs> to uh, just kind of... Uh, what I'd like to say oh, okay. is uh, I'd like to thank the listeners at home and abroad. Aaron Moore, Dave from Dopey, Jed from Church and Other Drugs, Jeff D., Grant B., G-Money Smooth, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, up till the webmaster, and all the monksters that have contributed to the show, anybody who sent us a story, a review, and our little community, and especially our wives for putting up with this passion project over the past year. <laughs> yes, yes, Also, indeed. I want to thank Mike for agreeing to do something so sensitive with a practical stranger, which we really were. You're so sweet. Um, I mean, we really didn't know each other even close to on this level. And to, you know, it was kind of a crazy idea. You know, when we started talking recovery, we were both kind of like, oh, these, we're having these conversations about it. And it's, huh, this is really interesting. Mm. I could talk to this guy, you know, for a while. And, um, <laughs> 50 hours. Yeah. So it took a lot of Plus. faith and courage to do the podcast. And I'm grateful for that. We're just getting started. So buckle up, Buttercup. It's only going to get better. So that's what I wanted well, to say. thanks, Nat. I mean, that, I, that really touches me deep inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say. There are no strangers, only friends who have not yet met. That's so true. We were friends long before we ever met, I think. So when a stranger touches you deep inside, <laughs> you should tell them you should tell an adult. Tell an um, adult. Yes. The, who do we wait before you move on? Um, did I forget anybody to like thank? I don't want to Probably we'll hear from them if we did. Yeah. Thank you everyone. Anyone who has well, our, contributed. You no, know, we could thank our original uh original best uh fan from Tacoma, the other uh, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> Jeff from Tacoma. <laughs> Then, love then move to Alabama. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know if he still listens, but yeah. Know. Join the movement. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, I can't believe it's been a year. Mm. I can't believe when you go back and if you listen to some of the earlier episodes yeah. and then you come to the more recent ones, I think we've improved a little bit. We have. And and I think the, the vision of the show, I mean, things in life rarely turn out as you plan them. And this is sort of one of them. My idea for this show initially, and I have pages of handwritten notes that I put together once the idea came into my head. And uh, 
my idea for the show was to document two practical strangers who only know each other um, peripherally, right? Uh, who then you know kind of learn about each other's story, and we do it on the air. And then that would be the compelling story. And yeah. it, it, that was my idea for it, but it really turned into like, these are the conversations you had, I've had with people in rehab outside of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something Dave from Dopey always says. He wants it to be like the meeting after the meeting. Right. Um, these are the conversations that uh, I would have with other recovering people, you know, outside of the formal groups. And that was where I got some of the best uh, insights and and I, I think we're, we're heading in that direction, but I really love, you know, the, the book reviews. I love really getting into the uh, into the, the details and the facts and the research and just discussing the shit out of it. Yeah, and what it does is it gives you and me a couple hours of recovery time a week. Yeah. That's not in the strictures of a formal 12-step meeting or any other kind of meeting, but it keeps our, our recovery present, yeah. uh, foremost in our minds. I mean, I had a, you know, when I thought about doing this show and I, I had a idea for it, for a recovery-based show several months before you and I met and started this thing. Um, but my idea was to sort of be, uh, sort of have be more removed and just talk about topics of, of interest in recovery. Uh, like which, the BBC reporter or something? Something like that. Yeah. But, but you know, <clears throat> and I'm glad I didn't end up doing that, and I'm glad it ended up being this rather than that because, you know... It's more personal this way. Yeah. It means more. And recovery you know? is personal. And there's a million fucking other podcasts like <laughs> like that out there. And there's only one RMA. So, you know, as, as you know, we could just be sitting in the front of your store talking, but here we're talking into microphones trying to monetize the fucking thing. That's right. <laughs> so let's... <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. Happy anniversary. Here's to another year of whatever it is that we do. Um, right. What did you do this week? So while you were not drinking in Mexico, uh, I went out, uh, did some fishing with Ben out in the Sound. We caught some porgies, which are fish that you catch around here. That's Long Island Sound for uh, those uh, who don't know. Yes. It's the Sound meaning a body of water. You want to tell them what bay I came out of too? What bay? Uh, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I, don't, I know. I don't <laughs> want to say it. <laughs> Clam um, bay. Clammer bay. No, it was cool. We went out. We caught some fish. Um the one I would not have been able to do that had I still been drinking because I would have because I I don't even think I would have gotten a boat because you know if I had had a couple drinks the night before I tend to get seasick if I go out on boats. Um, my wife on the other hand gets seasick whenever she goes out on a boat. So I, I think this is probably our last season with the boat, <clears throat> first and last or second and last. It's just. Um, I don't know. It's too much trouble. It's too much money. You know what they they say about boats? It's like the two happiest day of a boat owner's life are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. <laughs> and in between, it's just pouring money into a, a hole in the water. So. I, I, I did own a boat with a friend of mine. That's another story, though. So I was... Yeah. Uh, I'm, a yeah, lot of work. I don't know. You know what it is? Like when you have two teenagers who don't want to spend much time with you anyway, then all you have is the little one who's happy to go out with you. But, uh, you know, that, it's like it's not a family activity, so... Yeah, I think the boat's going. But you caught porgies. Caught porgies. I learned how to fillet them without cutting my finger Seriously? off. Seriously? Yeah, YouTube, I, man. I never had a porgy in my life until my son went to fishing camp and brought one home. They're good, though, right? I loved it. Yeah. Maybe it was just the way, because my wife's a great chef. and uh, But he compared to the flounder, or what was it, maybe the fluke that he got... Uh, I like the porgies flavor. Yeah, uh, it's a nice fish, and it's I, just, I really... you have to catch like ten of them to get a decent amount of meat because they uh, they're bony. But um, 
But also, like, I had a, another thing happen to me this week. I had a friend, an old friend of mine contacted me. Um, he's in his 50s, early 50s, um, looking for advice on how to get sober. He, he found... <laughs> He found out that I was in that particular club by the Recovery Elevator Facebook group, which I now know is not at all private. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how we met. And that's how we met. And apparently it's how everybody else who gives me a thumbs up on my posting of how many days I have on the Recovery Elevator Facebook page now knows that I'm in recovery, which whatever. I, you know, it used to be something I was mildly concerned that people would be aware of. And now I don't could give a rat's ass, but, but yeah. what's interesting, it's like, I, he's not the first person either. I've had other people that I know from the past that were, uh, that are good friends of mine that we used to go carousing together have reached out. It's, it seems like when you hit your early fifties, that's when the systems start uh, breaking down and you start uh, needing to uh, address some of the behavior that you've been doing for all those years and the patterns and you want to break out of those patterns. And, you know, which is why I'm, I'm glad our podcast is focused on, you know, ostensibly on middle age recovery because it's a resource for people out there, you know? Yeah. And, and we're, we're, uh, a lost, uh, demographic in the recovery community. I feel like we may, I mean, there, there's been a lot more of that since Anna Grace's books have come out and, uh, there's been more focus on people who aren't necessarily low bottom, right. but are still experiencing the same kinds of de- devastating effects to their lives, mm-hmm. just happening more slowly, maybe. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's important that we uh, let all these people know we're we're like you. You know, you're not alone. Exactly. Um, you know, it took me a good number of years before I got got it right. And you know, whatever I can do to help other people mm-hmm. get it right, I'm I'm happy to do so. It's weird though for having people contact me um, looking for advice on how to. Yeah. So it's a little strange because I'm not used to it. Right. I never, you know, you didn't come from the background didn't of come from AA background. and stuff. I, I mean, I, I was in AA, but I never got to the 12th step. I usually bailed on one or two. <laughs> one or two, yeah. <laughs> um, Did the AA two step. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm just, if you reach out to me, I will help you uh, to the best of my ability. And, you know, I'll provide al- you with resources. Along those yeah. lines, I feel like you've really missed out on something. Good about AA because you you never were forced into it for any period of time. There's some really good things <laughs> okay. about it, and I feel like that's why I want to. I think it would be cool for us to maybe hit a couple of meetings locally that because um, I'd like to go back and I'd like you to experience it through my eyes and to really. Meet I don't know, people. man. I think you would like it. I that's. I think I don't. Think I think I I'm going to require it. Yeah. I think it will be mandatory. We'll see, man. <laughs> I, think I will demand it of you. Um, um, which, okay. So, um, you're carrying the message. That's the 12th step. I'm, I'm carrying a message. I'm not carrying that message. <laughs> the message that there is a way out. There is a way out. And, um, it's through listening to the recovery in the middle, middle ages podcast. podcast. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah. experienced the all you can eat buffet and the all you can drink bar in Mexico and you survived. How did that go? Yeah, so as you guys know, um, I reluctantly was sent on a trip to Mexico at an all-inclusive resort, mostly because it was deeply discounted, I guess. Um, it's always a good reason to go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the disc- from what I, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it was a very, very nice uh, thing. But I hate the idea right now. I still, like I said on the last show, um, I don't feel settled in my career and in my life. Maybe nobody does. And I don't feel like I'm at a place where I can take a vacation. Um, but it was great. 
And I, it was sort of like Stockholm Syndrome where I'm just like, I'm here anyway. I'm just going to love it. <laughs> you know, That's the spirit. You know, um, but it, it was really great. But I mean, this is the ultimate workout for anybody's sobriety muscles. And uh, I have been mythologizing all-inclusive resorts um, since I started getting sober because, you know, this is one of those places when you're trying to stay sober that you just don't go to, period. Um, it's a horrible idea. Um, I would always advise others against doing this. Really? Um, yes, because for obvious reasons. That's why when you went, I didn't go crazy like giving you shit about it, but I was worried. Uh, it's it's so difficult to, 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 for me, it was difficult. It's difficult. It, it's boozes everywhere. It's part of the culture. It's endemic. It's like, I mean, you really are an outsider at one of those places if you're not like, because it's a constant saying no. Um, having said that, I definitely made it out bigger than it actually was. You know, um, the first, the minute I walked into the door, you know, they're handing us, they got, a pl- you know, champagne. And, and See, that, you stayed in a nicer place because uh, we just got yeah. mango juice. Oh, no, it was nice. A really <laughs> yes. nice place. And uh, so the minute we walked out of the cab, champagne's in my face. Right. Um, but that gave me an opportunity to like jump in the deep end you know, rip off the Band-Aid. No gracias. And I noticed... Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. No gracias. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, I got in the habit of reaching for the child drink, which is fucked up, man. Like, why do I have to be a child? You know, why... Well, you don't, but the child child drink is probably tastier than the adult drink. It is, but it, it's the, the way it is, you know, I you always get a weird look. But... Yeah, listen... Do you do you really care what, what if the Mexican guy who's given you a drink I like don't. what he thinks of how much you drink? No, I don't. It's all so it's in, in my your head, a hundred percent. And uh, and and just like when an alcoholic, um, you know, like for I'll talk about myself when we when I was first getting sober, we got rid of all the alcohol in the house. There was no alcohol in my house, mm-hmm. and we still were hosting holidays, and we made the decision. To have a dry holiday. Mm. And so uh, I think I, I was talking to a sponsor at the time and uh, and I said, oh, no one's going to want to come to my holiday because there's no alcohol. And he goes, you know who the only people who care, who really care if there's booze at a party is alcoholics. Yeah. And uh, I found that to be true. Um, we don't do that. And we still, you know, now that I'm a little better, um, I don't have a problem with it. My wife is comfortable with it. And I, I like to be a good host. But um, the idea that I thought people wouldn't want to come, you know, spend time with us, this is our family, you know, right? Uh, because of that, it was absurd. We, we had a great time every year. Everyone had a blast. Uh, it was awkward for me because everyone knew it's unusual that you don't have alcohol. But and a lot of people probably of had a better time. I think they and, did. And the next morning they woke up, they certainly felt better. Absolutely. Right? See, I'm, I'm like going the other way. Like I go to out now, like I had to go out and buy wine for something we had last weekend. And I, it just doesn't bother me generally. Um, but I go to the liquor store and like they had this fit vine wine, which is, um, it has an image of a runner on it and it's, you know, they're trying to sell it as some sort of a health wine. They do that with beer a yeah, lot. Right. You know, like, you know, it's so laughable. Right. Michelob Ultra is for the yeah. athlete. You right. Know? When you're done playing beach volleyball. But, Grab you know, a Michelob Ultra. It, it really annoyed me um, that they were that 
you know, and I'm in a liquor store and I don't care about being in a liquor store. I don't, I'm not tempted because, you know, if anything, I'm repulsed. Yeah, because you still have to be a host. You still have to, you know, have your wife and her family and friends and your family. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But, I, but, you know, knowing what you know about alcohol and the pitcher plant and how people, are, yeah. you know, who start with the best of intentions end up sliding down into, you know, dependency. Um, you know, is it responsible to serve people alcohol? Like I, some, I, I, I've been struggling with that lately. Yeah. It, like, it, what, is it, what does that mean morally for me to be pushing this on somebody else? Boy, that's a rabbit hole. I don't know that I'm prepared to go down. <laughs> Sorry, it's not on the outline. It's a, it's a really... <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot lately, only because, uh, well, you and some other people on Naked Mind Group, uh, one woman made a post that got me going. It got a lot of other people going, where uh, some local restaurant, you know, put a, a sign out that said something, you know, favorable about alcohol that isn't true. Like, you know, feel a lot better with a drink. It was something right. like that. Uh, it w- and it was a little funny. And she was like, I'm going to write to the town board. <laughs> and, you know, this is, a, you know, they can't do this. And what is the message we're sending? And me and most of the other people on there were like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, what, you, know you want to be an activist? Do you, do you really want to shut down alcohol? Or are we taking that approach? I mean, maybe we should, I, but yeah. I'm not interested in that. Right. I mean, they, it's a private business. Alcohol is legal. They can market it however they want. You know, just don't shut... Because alcohol is ubiquitous. I don't know, but but would you say that about cigarettes? Because you can't market cigarettes however you want. You have, no. you can't market it to to kids. You can't make it look you know like it like it promotes fitness. Why do we have those rules about cigarettes but not alcohol? Alcohol kills more people than cigarettes. Yeah, I guess. I don't I mean, know. I, I don't know. That's I don't know either because I mean, this, this, this is this I don't is, have a good counter. This is America, right, right? You can right. You know, you can you can do as you please, but but you know, we all pay the social costs of alcohol. Yeah, uh, abuse. I, I mean, through higher medical premiums, through everything else, you yeah. know. So, you know, at, at the very least, I think there should be some strictures on that you can't put a label on a bottle of wine that promotes it as a fitness beverage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. That's know. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. It's one of those things I'd really like to explore because I'm not settled on my opinion on it. Most of what I'm doing right now is something like that comes up. I say. I'm not going to deal with that right now. <laughs> I will think about that later. Right. I mean, you know, that's my procrastination. I'm not. I'm not gonna, like a teetotaler from yeah. the. You know. No, and I don't the, want to be that guy. Turn that's of the like century. You shaking know. your finger, the uh, the sober women that group. Uh, the temperance societies. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm not interested in telling people what to do. Um, I'm a believer in lead by example, and um, well, so isn't the know. example not to have alcohol in your house? Uh, isn't that leading by example? Well, See, I don't yeah. know how we feel about this either. And I'm sorry we kind of got on this tangent, but it's something that's been on my mind lately. Yeah. You know, I felt good about not having alcohol in the house, but I always had a tinge of guilt because, listen, my wife still enjoys a glass of wine. Yeah, um, right. And I don't want to take that. I know for her it is a simple pleasure that um, you right. know, increases her cancer risk. Yes, but I don't know. It's yeah. one of those things. I think... Like if people on the highway are all going 75 miles an hour, none of them are getting pulled over. Right. So does that make it right to go that fast? Is it dangerous? Is it illegal? You know, like... The flip side is, right, people are adults. They can make their own decisions. Right. And, you know, you can... You providing alcohol doesn't mean that you're forcing people to drink it. Send know. an email to mikear at middleagesrecovery.com and tell us your opinion. Anyway, you were this. flexing your sobriety muscles in Mexico when we digressed. 
For me, it started as soon as we reached the airport. Historically, airports are where the vacation drinking would start. Oh, yes. No matter what time I arrived at the airport, the bar was first on my list, then the plane. I never thought I'd be able to sit through a flight without those glistening gifts. Glistening gifts? Dripping with condensation set neatly centered on a white paper cocktail napkin, beckoning, beckoning to be consumed. You haven't flown in a while, have you? No. (laughs) Because there are no white... Napkins with I glistening know. bottles anymore. Well, you, uh, the things I read sometimes, I just want to be clear. I don't think they're like brilliant or anything. Oh, I think uh, they're very good. What, they, what I do is I'm constantly taking notes. It's like journaling. So on this trip, when I would get ideas or have thoughts, I type it out and, and it's cathartic for me. And sometimes um, I, I like to read them. So that's what that is, a little but, bit of my brain. So how did your experience of being on a plane uh compared to what you were expecting in your mind. Because the last time I flew, they threw me a plastic bag yeah. with a mask, a bottle of water in it, and like a, a, a cookie. <laughs> there was yeah. no offer of glistening bottles of alcohol. I hadn't been on a real plane in a very, very, maybe 20 years or something. We went to, to Disney World. That was the last time I'd been on the plane. And then, uh, so I had this memory of you sit in the plane, there's, what can you get you to drink? And it's alcohol yeah. everywhere. and every Not anymore. Or at least not on this domestic. No, it wasn't domestic. We went to Mexico. Right. Um, it was totally stripped down. Just like you said, it's more like a city bus these days yes. than it is yeah. uh, a Which dining. makes it easier for you to say no to alcohol. Which was great. You know, so that dispelled that myth for me. Um, you know, but people like, as soon as you get to the airport, I mean, there's always an airport bar. And uh, it's, I think they're always open. And, and when I used to travel, first thing I did, you're waiting for your plane, I'm going to go to the bar. You know, Even in the morning. You were like when, a morning guy. No matter what time for me, airport was like, it doesn't matter. It's five you o'clock could, somewhere. It's, yeah, because you, you know, you're in the duty-free zone. It's, you're not in America. <laughs> you I you came have no up, duties. I came up with all of the, you know, and so maybe that's just me that does that, but or did that. And so uh, getting through that, I mean, because, you know, as soon as you get through customs, you're like, oh, now I got to have a drink. That was stressful. Or just the stress of people, the bustling people and your kids and your wife and you're keeping people together. It's the most stressful place on earth. Right. So where better to have a drink? Yeah. Right. Um, But I didn't. Um, I don't know. Uh, It it was just, um, but I got through it. um, And, um, you know, it wasn't that hard. Uh, it, it took a lot of concentration, though. Um, I'm still, I think, not at a place where uh, these things don't bug me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's, not a, it's not like an intellectual... Like, well, what bugs you, though? Is it, is it that you can't have a drink? Or does it bug you that there's so much alcohol around? What exactly is it that bugs you? So, for me, it's the inner addict. And I wrote a little bit about this. Okay. Uh, but... My inner addict is what bugs me. It's this little guy in my head who, anytime there's triggers, like you're in the airport, you know, you'll start to get these feelings like you remember having a drink. You remember that that, this was something you would do. It Mm -hmm. was like, you know, almost like muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that stuff happens, I have a, a system of how I, you know, yell it down talk myself out of it right? Um, and just shut it down. I shut the thoughts. It's like a CBT technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so I have to still do that. Do you name your inner addict? I should. There's this... Lyle. It's, it's not smart recovery, but it's uh, rational recovery. 
uh, the addictive voice recognition technique. Have you ever heard of this? No. So what you do is that little voice in your head, mm-hmm. you give it a name mm. and you, you visualize it as some kind of a monster, um, mm. you know, like a slimy, creepy thing. And you tell it to get back in its cage and all this kind of stuff. And you personalize the, that addictive voice and you make it something other than your actual self. I think that's a great idea because yeah. I almost do that. And I just hadn't named it. Yeah. You know, but to treat it like it's a separate entity. I right. Mean, uh, I don't know if that's, is that schizophrenia where you have a separate entity speaking in your head? No, I mean, we have lots of people in our heads depending on who we're talking to and stuff, right? I mean, what is your ultimate essence of personality? That's a question for another show maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was really just dealing with that. I mean, for the most part, it, it wasn't like an ongoing struggle. Some people, we've talked about this before. Every day is a struggle. Every day is not a struggle for me. Right. Even um, in Mexico at an all-inclusive. No. And really what, what it took was, um, you know, just to really put up my defenses heavy early on mm-hmm. until I got there and now you're in it and you're enjoying yourself and you're not drinking. And once I got there and I'm like, oh, yeah. I can do this. Not yeah. only can I do it, I'm enjoying myself. And... Um, and it in this uh, trip, I got a chance to really like connect with my kids um, uh, about drinking a little bit, mm. which was really interesting. You know, I don't go overboard talking to my sons or my, especially my oldest, about that I'm an alcoholic. And I, but what he knows is, uh, for the past three and a half, four years, he has seen me be the only out adult in most situations. Who's always I'm the one they bring a, a coke to, right? You know. Um, Anytime it's asked, you know, I turn my wine glass upside down. So he sees these things. And while I don't give him all the details, he's very uh, cognizant that I'm sober. He even used that word once, and yes. I never, which was really interesting. They're very to me. observant, the kids. Um, and uh, so one thing that uh, I noticed was um, the, the positive effect that my sobriety is having already, not just the fact that I'm not a dirty addict on the street who's completely responsible anymore, but just to set that example puts it into perspective for my kids that, you know, there is a way to not participate in this, you know, kind of poisonous culture. Right. Um, and my, like my dad did it and look at him, he's happy. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of funny because they had this swim up bar. Your dad did what? Dad did what? You said my dad did it. Oh, oh, right. Okay. I thought you, okay. You were talking in Noah's voice. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah. sorry if, if my dad did it, you know, for me, my dad, what did he do? He wasn't an alcoholic, but he like he, the, the German beers, he would be like, oh, this is like mother's milk. And, uh-huh. you know, he would drink one, right. but we would split this one and he would really be like, oh, this is lovely. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, he was never drunk. I've never seen him drunk. And, uh, and they quit drinking once I started having trouble. Six oh, years really? Ago. Yeah, they, they, they don't touch alcohol. Easy for them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly. And so setting this example, um, I'm planting these seeds that maybe I didn't fully realize I was planting or was having an effect. Now, he really loved this swim-up bar. There's this gigantic pools there. And during I mean, the as day, a concept, it's brilliant, right? It is brilliant. <laughs> and it's not like a bar bar. Like, kids were all over the place. You know, you keep them away from there if there was a lot of... But during the day, it was really just him and maybe a couple other kids flitting around. And uh, he really was just like, I love this. is so great. I can't believe I'm 10 in Mexico at a bar <laughs> with my dad, you know? He, that's, he actually said that. 
And, uh, <laughs> and so I was sort of begrudgingly like, whatever, you know, he's, it's not a real bar. Uh, he loves the Shirley temples and he was getting such a kick out of it. And so come on, dad, come on. And so I went over with him and, um, I ordered like either a virgin mudslide or a virgin daiquiri. I drank a shit ton of virgin daiquiris. I probably have diabetes from all of the daiquiris. <laughs> That's the problem is you, when, when there's alcohol in them, it's strange. You can drink like 12 of them, but if there's no alcohol after one, you're like, Ugh, I can't, it's too sweet. Yeah. Um, it, What's in a virgin mudslide? It's a mudslide with no alcohol. It's, it's like a milkshake. It's chocolate it's milk. A, yeah. Shake. Chocolate milk. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's like a milk smoothie. Yeah. I liked it. And, and, and I got a lot out of just, but he, he was like incessant. We kept going back. We kept sitting there and and he kept ordering Shirley. I'm like, no, you can't, you know. And then finally, we were, free. we were away from the, the swim up bar and he wanted to go back. I said, no, I, can I, I don't want to hang out at a bar. You know, I had to finally say, look, and, and what I said was, you know, when, and I said, listen, Noah, when you're trying not to drink alcohol it's really good to avoid bars, mm. uh, even though it's not. And, and he said, and I said, you ever hear, you know, if you hang out at a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Right. And he goes, oh, dad, you, you, that doesn't affect you. you you're not going to drink, he said. Superman. I was like. He thinks you're a superman. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so I had to say, okay, you're right. I can do it. Um, but uh, just having those conversations with him and listening to him here and there say things like, oh, I think when I get, you know, old enough, uh, what I'll do is I'll just pretend to drink or, you know, he's already planning how he's also not going to That's drink. That's great. Um, whether, setting the example. Yeah, like whether or not that takes place is a whole right. other thing. But just the idea that it's something he's thinking about. But One, th- one thing know, I noticed about, um, you know, my experience in Mexico too is, you know, we'd been going to this place on the, just south of where you guys went for, you know, the last five or six years. Isla Mujeres? Uh, south of there. We're like right, we were like right across from Cozumel near Playa, Playa del Carmen. Oh, cool. Place down there. And Playa but means beach, I found out. It does. So Playa del Carmen is Carmen's beach, I guess, mm-hmm. or the beach of Carmen. And Playa anyway, Mujeres is the beach of, la- of the lady. The first few years we went down there, I was, I was still drinking and it was one of those deals like I'd have, in the... I was only drinking wine, so and the wine was terrible. But I would have a few glasses of this stuff, and then by eight o'clock, I'd be done. I'd like just be lying yeah. in bed, and um, not that I go to bed much later than that anyway. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I was able these 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 past two trips, one with my my one son that we went diving, and then the trip before that in April, um, to really get into like the stuff there is to do down there, and like to do it with complete attention and no feeling of hangover, no feeling of sickness, no feeling of craving for, for, for drinking. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. I, I, I'm like, why do people, I kept thinking to myself, why do people waste so much of their vacation, like getting shit faced and lying around a pool? They could do that at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because even my wife who um, is a casual drinker, um, you, you know, she would be, she was a great candidate for it. I'm finally on vacation. I can just sit here and drink alcohol all day. And first day we were there, there was some of that, you right. know, she's just like getting it all in every, yeah. you know, free drink. She's grabbing it. Um, she did not become like inebriated like, or anything like that. But, um, you know, she was taking you know, the normal opportunities you get at these things. Yeah, right. The waiter comes, you order. A you're paying for it. Right. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. This is all, you know, you paid for it. Well, you know, if you're not drinking, you're losing money, they, th- they say. But even for her, um, 
after the, the even the next day, I noticed far less uh, mm-hmm. drink ordering. And she even made a couple of comments. She's like, I just don't want to be tired. You That's know? it. Um, There's so much else to do. But maybe if I weren't uh, being abstinent, maybe if I wasn't doing that, she would have wanted to drink along with me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's it's starting to set a healthy, pre- more healthy precedent. Uh, and we did have a great time. We were not knocked out tired by two or three o'clock because right. you're drinking all day and we had right. a great night did you see anybody drinking at breakfast i uh e- mimosas all right but that's still it. drinking drinking uh yes <laughs> just because you put it in a fancy flute glass it's just it's yeah, the you, same thing your, you know? your typical uh brunch drinks um th- this particular resort i did not see the debaucherous uh alcoholics like you experienced like i really i just didn't see it uh it was interesting i heard it a little bit in a, in a far flung there was probably like, an adult area that's that what you guys it, were not in secrets see, the, the, we were in dreams secrets okay. is the debauch because the resort i was in it, there was no real separation right so uh the first thing we saw when we got there back in april the very first thing when we walked down to the beach was some girl hysterically crying sitting against uh a uh wall with a drink and the boyfriend like pacing around with his drink like around the corner and they'd clearly just had a fight. And then oh, I watched yeah. another fight happen like a half hour after that. And I'm like, this wow. is what, and like, I'm wondering like, is this just unusual behavior or would I just never noticed this or would have laughed it off because right. I was drinking too, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I noticed after you said that, because I was like, nobody's fighting. Yeah. Minutes after I heard a couple like, well, that's your fucking responsibility. And she's like, you always do this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Tropical paradise, right? Tropical. Just, you know, add alcohol and watch what happens. So, I don't know. I, you know, it's... it's. Uh, but how did I do it? You know, I was thinking to yeah, myself... how did you do it? Listen, I got through this seemingly impossible scenario, and I thought it would be beneficial to our listeners if I sort of tried to break down... What exactly that did I do? Um, and what I say, um, and I was really thinking about this, um, that I needed to stay. Now, a lot of people will say you go to a, um, another country, you find an AA meeting or something like that, which is oh, great if you can God. do it. But um, I said, you know, you got to stay. Um, I mean, you're fighting so much cultural pro- programming internally to drink that you got to be on top of your game. You have to stay in the recovery headspace. How do I do that? Um, when I'm reading a book or listening to something, usually I try and keep it recovery related. Um, I do that because I enjoy it too. Mm-hmm. You know, if you hate that, don't do it, obviously. <laughs> but I get something out of it. Um, I worked on my rec- my recovery podcast. You know, um, it's true. You were far more responsive when you were in Mexico than I was when I was yes, in Mexico. You know, I was on top of it. Um, I was thinking about it, um, planning for the future, uh, and then um, it, and just. You know, really, I think that is the main thing. You got to be wary because I'll tell you, um, I dropped my guard toward the end of this. Did you? So, and that's when I had a bit of an issue. Um, So it was not all, you know, smooth sailing for me. Um, You know, and that, that made me realize that I really just have to be, at least at this point in my recovery, I still have to be cognizant of my thoughts and feelings and, uh, and my surroundings. Um, I say that because I had gotten through the six days or whatever it was, and I was patting myself on the back, and it was that last day, and I kept saying to my wife, I can't believe I didn't drink. This is amazing. You know, and she's like, all right, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> way to go. And, uh, 
and then until so we left the resort i'm like i did it i fucking did it even with the unopened bottle of champagne in the room like we didn't even touch the complimentary bottle of champagne like, right she didn't drink it it just sat there yeah um one thing i did do is they they put out these complimentary airplane bottles of liquor yep and i actually i asked my i said like, could you please can we put that somewhere else and of course the maids kept putting them back um but uh i would always tell the maids to take them take them like, they, they gave me bottled tequila every day i would just hand it to them every i mean it's in yeah, tequila everywhere but yeah. so we finally got to the airport uh, in Mexico, you know, I'm feeling good about myself. I'm like, all right, here we go. And um, we got through customs and the, you walk through, just like at, at the end of a museum, you go through the gift shop. Right, so exit at, through the gift shop. So this one, you're right into the duty-free shop mm-hmm. and it was just alcohol, holy shit. The most, <laughs> and the presentation and it was beautiful and these big bottles and all of your favorites and the light shining through them and man, I was just like, holy shit. I'm just like, I did not expect to feel overwhelmed, you know, because I always pride myself. I'm like, ah, it doesn't bother me. I, I could walk by the alcohol aisle in a supermarket. I don't care. But for some reason, man, uh, I just, my guard was down and I just caught myself staring into a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label, uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's like the $250. It's the Johnny Walker that Uh, doesn't taste like ass. Right. It's really good. Um, Or it's probably awful. No, but I mean, my memory of it was, you know, this is something that is special. In any case, I was totally zoned out staring at this for a second. Meanwhile, my wife and two kids, there's chaos, there's people everywhere. It's just crazy. And I'm sitting there staring and, um, Finally, my wife was like, "That what 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 are you doing?" And I'm like, "Huh?" Hey, she's like, "We got to pick out a gift, you know, for my mother or something." And I had this uh, visceral reaction. It felt like a panic reaction, mm. uh, like a PTSD reaction. Interesting. Uh, and it was involuntary. It wasn't something that I could talk myself out of right away mm-hmm. because it was physical. And I I was just like I started to feel a panic. Um, it wasn't directly related to, I have to stop myself from drinking or anything like that. It was more subconscious. Hmm. It was just a feeling, and I just felt like fight or flight. And I decided flight. But, right. uh, of course, I look insane. And But I said, you know, to my, I just looked at her. She could tell something was wrong. I said, I got to get out of here. Um, I'll wait for you on the outside. And I just kind of got the fuck out of there. And I just stood there, you know, and I tried to look at everything. It was just like Las Vegas. There's lights and restaurants. And I was just kind of like mm. deep breath. Uh, and after about 10 or 15 minutes, um, I felt better. They came out and that was it. Um, it's interesting that duty free had that uh, reaction on you. It was just up the bottles. and um, Because, I mean, you, you survived like alcohol being presented front of you for a whole week handed to me yeah but here it is you know because it's backlit and uh it was gorgeous yeah it was a beautiful presentation and i'm a sucker for marketing see but thing that i never feel tempted by duty free for two reasons one it stinks of perfume in there the whole time it's disgusting <laughs> and two i know like the savings are all illusory everything's marked up so, right you're not, you're not getting a good deal any either anyway but uh mm. i can identify with that ptsd stuff like you really you know you find yourself in a situation where you're in, you're encountering like a, a drug or an alcohol thing like like i had a little bit of that in portland when i was watching those people smoking crack in the alley because it brought me right back to the bronx and i was like mm. yeah yeah. And it, it, it supersedes yeah. your your conscious intellect. Yeah, exactly. It's like goes right to your lizard brain, you know? Yeah. And, and so I didn't relapse. Um, 
the one other um, scenario I wanted to bring up uh, that caught me off guard. Right. Uh, because I really want to show that like you, you can come prepared with everything. You can have the tools. You can have three and a half years of sobriety. You can have a recovery podcast. You can read, you know, 10 recovery books a month. All that stuff that I do. And still... When we were on something called Isla Mujeres, which is just like a little touristy island. It's the only time we left the resort. Right. And it's this cute little town, and it's just all about tourists. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were walking to find the beach or whatever, and uh, there was a Mexican pharmacy. And again, just like seeing the bottles, something clicked. And I remembered, wait a second. I'm at a Mexican pharmacy. Mm, yeah, this good stuff in there. Fucking drug addict Disneyland. Uh, some people, you know, I've heard stories of people just going through hell, crossing the border to try and bring back bottles of Valium, Ritalin, whatever they sell. And <laughs> Valium it, and Ritalin—that's a party. It tapped into this old addict mentality that I used to have of when you see it, you grab it. Mm. When it comes to pills, the, the pills thing—I uh, used to be like the second I see. That little orange sticker on the bottle, like, do not, you know, may cause drowsiness. <laughs> do not use while operating a vehicle. That's, That's for me. <laughs> you just grab it. You don't think. You grab it. You know, the, the best time to uh, pick up uh, illicit narcotic pills is when? When you see it. Mm. And so that all rushed back at once. And I was walking with my son and I'm like, again, I had that moment. I'm like, a little bit of panic set in. And... uh I really took some time processing it. I didn't consider going in and buying anything, but I definitely was stopped in my tracks mm. and processed it. But then we moved on. But it was really, uh, it was really interesting that it had that effect. And still, again, another miracle <laughs> is that I didn't sneak in there. Give me a bottle of violin, whatever it was. Like the right. miracle is that I didn't do that because it was so second nature to me for so long. You know, but it, but at this point in your life, you know, three year plus years, four years, whatever it is, away from all that, yeah. was it anything more than a passing thought? No, it, like it, you would never have done it. Right? Well, I don't know. What if you were by yourself down there? I, I don't know. See, because family is really uh, it changes the game. Right? Sure does, because they're around you and all. And I can't say for certain that that I would have been okay. I really can't. I don't know if I. In some weird world where you're on vacation in Mexico by, by yourself, myself, yeah. you know, and you right. walk by the Mexican pharmacy and there's no accountability because that's, that's the real test of the recovery, right? Like if you walked in here one morning and took a pile of really good Coke and dumped it on the table, you said, Nat, I relapsed and look what I got for you. <laughs> what would I do? I'd love to say and love to think that I'd be like, you motherfucker and like wash it, you know, wipe it off the table and kick you out and never, you know, all of that. Right. Um, I just don't know. I just pray I am never in that situation. I got all excited there when you yeah. said that. I was like, mm, that's <laughs> a pile of coke. <laughs> a pile of coke. So you and me in the storeroom. It just show it goes to show you that you just never know where it's going to come from, and you have to stay vigilant. Uh, and vigilant, you don't have to, you know, be crazy or anything, but always be conscious that. You, you 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 can we're all human we're all fallible mm-hmm. and you keep in mind what your goals for your life are um and for me like the, my goals in life does not include buying uh illicit narcotics you know in a mexican pharmacy they don't include buying a bottle of johnny walker blue you know half price from a duty-free shop and drinking it in the airplane bathroom um my goals are 
apart from that and and that gets in the way of it and so to keep that at front of mind is super important well i think it's helpful to run through some scenarios that are likely to happen though occasionally like you know you walk around town and there's every reason to believe at some point you're going to find a bag of drugs in town you know i've in fact found a bag oh yeah bags of weed bag you know i haven't found anything full of anything but i've found empty bags right or with with some mystery powder remnants in them and so forth and you know what do you do in that situation do you practice what to do in that situation usually i just keep walk on by you know but yeah yeah it's one of those things it's something to think about Um, i mean obviously like if i was going to probably go off the wagon, it wouldn't be with like the remnants of some weird white powder that I find in the street. Cause even at this point in my life, that, that seems more dangerous than, yeah. you know, satisfying. Um, you can't plan for every eventuality, but you give yourself these tools. Um, but you know, thinking about this Mexican pharmacy thing, I thought to myself, man, I've always heard great stories about Mexican pharmacies. What I did was I reached out on the Dopey Nation uh, and just asked people, like, what are your Mexican pharmacy stories? Uh, I got a bunch, uh, and, I, and I got permission from one guy in, in any case. But um, I asked, you know, um, what, what are your Mexican pharmacy stories, essentially? Mm-hmm. And so uh, Austin W. says, uh, nothing eventful to speak of. But it actually is eventful. Yeah. But I definitely utilized the pharmacias when I was in San Diego. Before they started requiring passports after 9-11, you could just ride a trolley from uh, from San Diego into Tijuana. I remember that. It, I was pretty young back then and living with my family on a Navy base down there right at the border. Our backyard was about 100 to 200 yards of dunes and then the border. My family used to cross over to Tijuana to get a decent supply of Tylenol-3. Tylenol-3 has codeine. It's codeine, kidding, right? Yep. None of them have really struggled with substance use disorders by any means, but they just happen to work better for headaches, migraines, etc. Indeed, indeed they, they do. They work a lot better. <laughs> it was really common around the Navy base, and no one really thought much of it back then. We had quite a stash before we left, which lasted years after we moved to the East Coast for the first time. It wasn't until quite a few years later that I started crossing over myself with a few friends uh, whenever I went back to visit or when I went back to live there for a while. Never really had any close calls like others did, but this was well before the opioid epidemic became a household vernacular. We mostly got Valiums, uh, Xanax, and Hydrocodone back then, but occasionally I was able to get some morphine and Oxy mm, old before crossing back. Things were much simpler back then, and I hadn't developed any kind of serious habit, just fun and games. Yeah, um, and that's, I think that's the only one I'm going to read because we're going long. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And I'd be curious if you, you monsters out there have uh, Mexican pharmacy stories, send it to Mike R at uh, middleagedrecovery.com. <laughs> Please do. Um, so I, I like it, reading them. Yeah. I bought Valium in Mexican pharmacy back in 1995, I guess the first time I went to Mexico. How much does it, did it cost? Do you I, I have no idea, but you know, I, I just put it in a, uh, a bottle of Advil or something and brought it back over the border. I figured, you know, and and they weren't really checking back then. That was, ran through my mind too, though. I was like, what would I do with a fucking bottle of Valium right now? Like, what am I, am I going to smuggle it back? Am I going <laughs> to, what happens if you do and, you know, you get pulled and then your family's looking at you like you're an asshole, you know? That's playing the tape forward. <laughs> right. I'm like, it was, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And um, the last thing I want to say about my trip, because I, don't know how much more people want to hear about this, um, is that um, the last 
panic thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> we were great. running towards the gate, of course. The gate, it was time to go to the gate. We had been eating and hanging out, whatever. I was tired. Uh, we get into the gate, the boarding passes. We start to walk you know, through the door that gets you down the ramp. Right. My wife turns and goes, where's Max's backpack? Oh, shit. The backpack had my iPad Pro in it. It had, oh. chart, like, it had a lot of stuff in it. And uh, we realized very quickly we did not have the backpack. And hmm. keeping in mind, I was responsible pretty much for it because I had the kids while my wife was shopping. Oh, and, boy. Um, man, the panic. All I did was I looked at the person. I said, I got to go find this backpack. They said, okay, run. You're just going to have to come back through uh, and get checked. I ran, and this is a big, pretty big airport, um, big enough where I was had a few different ideas of where it might be. Yes. But there was a very distinct possibility that it was gone forever. Right. And this was, uh, and just running through like, but I just laser focused. I thought, where were we? And I ran straight to the first place we were. And lo and behold, there was the backpack on the back of a chair. Awesome. At the sushi bar. Uh, the sushi bar that nobody's in? No, nope, because the, it's Mexico airport. Who's yes. eating sushi at a Mexican airport? Me and Noah. Did had, you guys actually eat there? He had to have sushi. I thought about it. it and then good. I looked in that place and I'm like, there's nobody eating in here. I wonder if people know something I don't. So we went to the Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville instead. Oh, you did? Yeah. It was great. But I mean, I couldn't believe I found it. I ran back. Then I had to go through a serious check, you know, because I was very suspicious. You had to run back and get a mysterious bag. Yeah, yeah. So I did the whole thing. But in any case, I made it through. We got home by 12 o'clock. I'm so happy to be back. Um, and I'm glad we're back on a regular schedule here. Um, which is going to change uh, to evenings pretty soon. Um, maybe, maybe not. But I made it. Yes. I made it. I'm still sober. You can do it too. Yes. And um, glad to be back. I'm guys. thinking maybe we should host a, a sober retreat in Mexico. At an all <laughs> at inclusive. An all inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> really We can practice out. our strategies. Yeah. 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 That's that's like the pro league right there. Uh, that's the major leagues bunch of sobriety. Of drunks down to <laughs> all inclusive in Mexico and talk. Talk sobriety. Yeah. But sober travel, you know, all seriousness, uh, kidding aside, sober travel is a big thing now. There's people, there's, you That's know, cool. travel agents that'll book sober trips. There's sober resorts. Yeah. I, I love know? the idea of these sober retreats. I'm hoping that we can plan a sober retreat for the uh, monsters at an RMA kind of meetup thing. Yeah, that'd be great. In the near future. So stay tuned for that. If you have ideas for it, you yeah. send them along. Um, but, uh, okay. And with that, I would like to take a short break Okay, and we come back and then we're going to handle a discussion about, um, AA and traditional, uh, 12 step and their attitudes or perceived attitudes towards, uh, medicated assistant treatment. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words. If I don't have to pee at the break as a middle-aged man, I wonder, is that because I'm dehydrated or my kidneys are not working anymore? I don't know. I, I still have either. to uh, take care of my issue. <laughs> I'm still Your having an issue. A, my, I have to pee every fucking 30 minutes. Oh, that it's issue. fucking annoying. Yeah. So, okay. So we covered Mexico. And the other topic we wanted to talk about today is um, sort of arose out of a conversation I had on the internet with somebody, which is... <laughs> It's always a great way to Sounds start. Sounds like a great show. Right. Uh, so some of you may recall, mentioned in the past that I belong to um, 
a number of different little sobriety groups in different corners of the internet. One is the Peloton uh, Sober Squad, which is a, a group of people... Can't get any more niche than that. <laughs> ...who own Peloton bikes uh, and, I guess, are sober. So, uh, I saw a post in that group the other day that read as follows. Uh, I'm not doing very well at this. I read and research and get the books, Naked Mind, Jason Vale. I don't know who Jason Vale is. Do you? No. Uh, look up the podcast, etc. but then I don't actually read them or listen to them. Any advice? I go about two, max three days. And then she says, can anyone rec- recommend any hypnosis audio they downloaded that worked? Thank you. So <clears throat> when I uh, saw that posting, it was a few minutes after it had been posted, and there were like five responses that are like, the only thing that works is Alcoholics Anonymous. You should mm-hmm. go to an AA meeting, you know. Or And then a, and a couple of people were like, AA works, maybe you're just not serious enough about your recovery, you know, like that kind of thing. So I was like, well, maybe maybe this woman needs a little a suggestion of a different sort. So I posted my comment as follows. I'd suggest talking to your doctor about medically assisted treatment. There are safe medications that can help with cravings and get you over the rough parts. Google the Sinclair method. AA can be effective, but the success rate is around 15%. It works well for the people it works for, but that isn't everyone. Uh, now, I thought that was a fairly benign comment and a, and a mm. steering someone towards a medical treatment for a medical problem, right? That's a dirty word. The first comment that came up under my, uh, my own comment was, sure, take another drug to quit this drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and I said to that guy, well, why don't you educate yourself about medically assisted treatment before dismissing it? AA considers alcoholism to be a disease and modern medicine has plenty of ways to treat this disease. AA fellowship is a great thing, but it has a dismal success rate. Oh, snap. No, you didn't. I did. I you went didn't. there. I went there. Oh my God. Uh, and then I got support from a few people, but then the, the guy who you know, started the, the, to, to pick the fight with me went out and said, uh, are you two in recovery? I've been clean and sober for 21 years, attended literally thousands of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> which did wonders for his personality. Yes. <laughs> I even worked in the field for a while. Don't even get me started on medically assisted treatment. In my experience, which apparently is none since he's not involved <laughs> yeah. in it, it is, it is largely a cash cow business. Yeah. Well, there's some truth to the cash cow thing, but that uh, that's part of everything. Yeah. Well, is it, have you ever taken a look at how much money NA and AA take in in a year? Well, they don't. Uh, there's you know. a saying in Narcotics Anonymous, I attended both fellowships, that the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. And I don't know what that has to do with our conversation, but anyway. Um, that's what we're doing, one addict talking to another. So, you know, then he, we, we have a little more back and forth. He's like, why are you dissing AA so bad? And... You know, I, I didn't know what to say to that because I wasn't dissing AA. I was offering an alternative to AA. Right. And apparently, a, offering an alternative to Alcoholics Anonymous is dissing Alcoholics right, Anonymous. Right, because for that, for a lot of these people, it's either everything or it's nothing. There's, there's no, you know, sense that this can also be a tool used along with. And that's the only time I had success, quote unquote, when I was doing AA regularly was when I was also, you know, going to outpatient therapy being treated uh, with medication by a doctor, like doing the whole shebang. So this idea that, you know, you can't even suggest, it's like you can't question the king yeah. off with your head. Um, right. It, it's uh, just a shitty attitude. And, it, and that's it's what, shitty and, and it kills people. This frankly. is why there's a 7%. 
<laughs> reported. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you can, you can quibble about whether the success rate of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is five percent, ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent. But you know, if you had a drug that only cured one out of five people that got it, would that drug be considered a success or not? It would be a treatment that went no. nowhere. I mean, to me. Look, I'm not I'm not going to savage AA because I know a lot of people for whom it literally saved their lives. It's right? great. It can be great. On the other hand, you know, you know, I look at it like conquistadors that came to to South America and were like uh um you guys, Christianity's awesome. You should convert. And then they're like, no. And so then they slaughter a million, but a thousand converted. And they're like, see, see that? What, look at that. What a success rate, you know? Success. Now, 100% of those we didn't kill converted. Right. So am I going to get like Shit for comparing AA to conquistadors, probably. But um, anyway, so the, the postscript of this exchange, which eventually I just sort of withdrew because it, it, it wasn't helping the original poster get any clarity about what would help her, you know, uh, put down the drink. Um, and I, you know, I just said, listen, OP, if you want to discuss it, just send me a PM and we can talk about it. And she did. She did. She sent me a private message and said, could you send me the resources? And I sent her over to um, Claudia Christensen, who you might remember as yes, the uh, Babylon I believe, 5. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you're still talking to her. That's so cool. I'm not, I'm not talking to her. I, I, I sent her the, uh, the link to the Sinclair Method and to the documentary. I suggested she watch it and say, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, I, I basically gave her the same spiel we say. In the, and I also sent her a link to the podcast, yes, of, course, of course. Right. And then I reached and somebody else reached Shameless out to me. Shameless money grab. How on dare that, you? Yeah. Somebody else who, who uh, run was a, um, a coach in a, uh, a group called She Recovers, which deals with women's uh, issues in recovery, mm. reached out to me also. Oh, and cool. I, you know, she may be getting me someone from that organization to come on and talk about uh, women's recovery issues. Awesome. So I tried to turn this thing into, into a positive and, and, Frankly, I was pleased that there were people who were like, you know, medically assisted treatment saved my friend's life. And, you know, more and more and people are saying that. Yeah. Um, and I'm noticing, well, maybe it's because I hang out more in the alt recovery rooms these days than I used to. And I don't have any, I don't have a horse in this race, you know, like I don't, I don't make any money off of medically assisted recovery. Yeah. Um, no, but we, we know that it's important to um, it's important to educate people. There are options that are, you know, because people tend to distrust doctors because of this opioid crisis. Um, I hear a lot of that kind of blowback, like, oh, yeah, doctors, look at what they did. Mm. Um, and, you know, fair point. But, you know, uh, they were lied to as well. Um, and a lot of... What uh, what we've seen the evidence on how medicated assisted treatment uh, is that it is efficacious, uh, and in fact, I have a personal success story using uh, suboxone, using naltrexone, and using a camprosite. Um, you know, and there's a variety of medications that you can use. I kind of I laid out uh, a few um, that I thought we would uh, tell the listeners about. I'm not going to go crazy describing each one, uh, but there's some that you may know, and there's some that you may not know. Right, methadone being the most well known. It's an opioid that is used to treat pain and opioid dependence. It's among the most controversial MAT medications because it requires very long term treatment and can cause withdrawal symptoms of its own. Methadone works by binding to the same opioid receptors that other drugs like heroin attach to. Methadone is one of the, the first, I'd say it is the first, um, well, one of the first treatments uh, for heroin addicts. Mm -hmm. It's been used for a long time. I've known a lot of people on methadone. People call it liquid handcuffs, partially because they don't give you uh, the medicine to go home with. 
uh, for the most part. Right, you have to show up and line up and You're get You're there in every the cup day. The guys I knew on Methadone um, were there every morning, five or six o'clock to get their stuff. If they went on vacation, they had to do all of this special paperwork just to get a three-day supply. So if you're on, on methadone maintenance, right, is, it, is there a plan for an off-ramp? You're supposed to. So when, when you get into a methadone clinic, you're also required to meet with the therapist or a clinician to discuss recovery. Right. They, you know, they try and... Is that like a real thing? Because you see these people who've been lining up for methadone for 20 years, you know. And yeah. I wonder when it's it comes to, to medically assisted recovery, is, is methadone like the, the greatest example to be holding out there? Because people have some very definite ideas of how fucked up methadone is, right? Well, but you look at something like yeah. naltrexone or, you know, some of these newer medications, you know, which... which are yeah, like you know, designed differently. Methadone basically will just it will keep you from getting high and from getting sick, but it doesn't really progress you down the road towards being recovered, does it? I mean, I, I mean it's one of those things. Like the guys I knew on methadone were not, you know, trying to get sober. They were doing it so that because they couldn't keep up their habit. Okay, so they would go in for their methadone, but they had to go through the steps so they, you know. They had to go in, they had to piss test to make sure all they were had was methadone in their systems and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But, I mean, I used to buy methadone from my dope dealer um, when he couldn't get dope. He'd say, I don't have that, but I've got, you know, 50 milligrams or 100 of, of liquid methadone that he would sell me. And so he was really going to get his methadone uh, and somehow he they let him leave with it, and I, I can't figure out how he did he that. Kept, kept it in his mouth and spit it in a cup. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was mm. this orange syrupy, you know, and it made me feel good, you know. But he wasn't, you know. I don't know if that speaks to all of the people. I've heard stories of people that success stories with methadone. It can be when used properly and as directed, and with a program of recovery concurrently. Yeah, you can get sobriety. The problem is the. Um, the level of addict that typically gets sent to a, a methadone clinic are extremely like dire straits, acute in, in the full. I mean, buprenorphine is more, was more suboxone, other, right. otherwise known as, was more of a white collar. When, when these white collar heroin addicts started to pop up and opiate addicts, buprenorphine really became the go-to for them. It was extremely difficult to get. Extremely expensive, but they would give it to you to go home with. You could get a normal prescription. I was on it for a long time. I could get it at any pharmacy, you know. So um, there's some racism there. I think there is the, uh, definitely some racism. The black black addicts get heroin, and yeah. white middle class addicts get buprenorphine. The, the, I mean, Suboxone should be as available to these people as methadone is. It give, would give them more freedom. It's a yeah. better drug. It's not just an opiate. It's it's got a blocker. And you know, an agonist and an antagonist, um, and it, and it saved my life. Um, uh, th- naltrexone being uh, the other one. Now, naltrexone is interesting because it's the only one that's that's certified for both alcohol and yeah. opiate use, right? And and its its use among the alcoholics is you know, if you look at that one little pill documentary that we reviewed several weeks ago, it'll talk about the institutional resistance to getting that out into more doctors and more alcoholics. But that's kind of the thing that. That I think a lot of people who struggle with cravings and with um, just mm. not being able to get a, get that day one under their belt mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I think they could really benefit from that. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just a little jump start. It, and it really it really helped me. I learned a lot about you know Vivitrol. I think is naltrexone. Yeah, it's like a longer lasting. Right, the Vivitrol, is, and this is another shot that's fifteen hundred dollars a month um, if you want it, and. Um, 
I can't remember if my insurance covered it. I think it did. But I mean, that's another that was really hard. It almost inoculates you from. But yes, it was developed for alcohol addiction first. When they later discovered that it was also blocking, you know, opiates, uh, it became indicated for that. I was prescribed long after I had an opiate addiction when I was just struggling with alcohol most recently. Um, I was prescribed naltrexone for my cravings for alcohol, right? along with a camprosite. Mm. Um, both of those drugs together, just, it's the hardest thing to explain. It's not, you're not high by any stretch of the imagination. It's almost like if your addiction, if your impulse to use is a physical thing in your body, for me, it removed that physical thing. Right. I literally, I didn't, and I was smoking cigarettes at the time, and I stopped smoking for while I was on it. I didn't. That have sounds a like de- a miracle. To yeah, me. I didn't have a desire, and um, the uh, the neuro uh, the neurological function of how it works. I actually learned about in rehab. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, but I'm not really qualified to describe it. Um, but it does work on a physical molecular level to stop the craving. Uh, and I used it, you know, um, naltrexone after I came out of my OD, um, which, you know, incidentally, yes, I OD'd on fentanyl, but that was the first time I had used an opiate in three years. So I wasn't like going into withdrawal from opiate. I wasn't an opiate addict at the time, but I had practically killed myself with it. So when it came out of it and I had my, I went right back to my outpatient, uh, talked to my psychiatrist. He knew what had happened and he said, you need to get on these two drugs and don't stop. Don't take a day off. You take them. And I did. And I was diligent with the medication. And that was the start of me not needing those drugs. Right. And I'm, I'm no longer on those there drugs. There was an exit ramp. There was a plan. Yeah. And yeah. I did it. And part of it is I had to follow along. Right. I, I didn't buy my Suboxone. Well, I wasn't buying Suboxone, but I didn't buy it off the street, naltrexone, and then try and treat myself. I listened to my addiction doctor did what he said, and I participated in 12-step. I participated in my groups, and that well, worked. And I think that's my point overall, is that you know, addiction being a multifaceted problem, it requires a multi-directional solution, not you know, sit down, shut up in the AA meeting, and you know, do the 12 steps, and you'll be fine. I, I, I mean, that, to me, that's like an antiquated way of thinking. I mean, you, you, you know, how can I possibly believe that, that a, a stockbroker and a, and a and a, and a doctor in 1931 came up with a, a, a recovery program that should be preserved in amber for all times as medical science increases, you know. And so you went to 12-step at the same time you were taking those drugs. Did I you get sure shipped did. for that? Um, no, because I didn't announce it from the rooftops ah. because I didn't want to be given shit over it. So you felt like, despite the fact that your experience could have perhaps helped other people in AA who were struggling. I was reluctant to. You were reluctant to discuss. 100%. And that is the problem with AA, in my my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of, um, one of the the great things that AA brought to us was this idea that there was uh, some therapeutic value to one alcoholic who has stopped drinking or addict, talking to another one, sharing their own experience is very different and couldn't be a lot more, um, effective uh, than hearing from some stuffy doctor who's never, you know, used a day in his life, has never experienced the, the highs and the lows. 
And so that credibility, it goes a long way because they say, I've been where you are. Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the sponsorship thing, which we're going to get to on, a, on another show. We wanted to do a show about sponsorship, right? Um, but that's part of it. And, and that'll be a tie into the next show, um, how you're relating to one another. And so by bringing that to the forefront is probably to me, the best thing about AA. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the community. And, and now, all of the, um, you know, minutiae of people arguing over little things, not so important, but um, people get tied up in it. And it's, it's unfortunate. Right. And we um, can't just focus on the healing and focus on the sharing um, instead of, you know, little things that just simply don't matter. Right. Well, I mean, some things, you know, you can take, you can take a lot of good out of that people talking to one another, but I don't think it has to be within the structure of Alcoholics Anonymous, but that just happens to be what's available at the moment. It's ubiquitous. So. And that's why you even sent somebody to AA recently. You said, I said you should go to AA. That That's a great example of what's been going on for 40 years. It's the easiest, simplest, most free thing you can suggest to someone. So therefore it is accessible and it can be great. First I said the go to your therapist and talk about medically assisted treatment. Right. But if you feel like you need something, a more immediate thing, you could uh, pop into any AA meeting is how I put it. Um, I think maybe we need to yeah. get to the end. All right. So um, having said all of that, if you, if you have opinions on this, are you in an AA group that is so traditional that you can't even be on uh, antidepressants? Um, I think that's more of an NA thing. Um, I, I, was just, I have to say, I yeah. was surprised at the vehemence at which some of the people in AA came at me yeah. by saying that, that I, you am, don't know shit I am killing people by referring yeah. them to medically assisted treatment, basically. And I had to hold my tongue because my response would be like, AA has killed more people huh. than sub uh, than naltrexone ever has. So yeah, definitely don't know. say that on our show. Yeah, <laughs> please don't. I uh, right. Okay. And so with that, send us a message. Go to our private uh, Facebook group and let's discuss it. I want to hear from you guys. Uh, write us at Mike R at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. I'm just giving out your all email. Of the, all of the negative uh, comments come to yeah, me. Yeah, and we'd love to do a segment where we read reactions uh, to, to the previous show. I uh, want to hear what you guys are thinking. Uh, but with that, it is time for Recovery in the News. Recovery in the News. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the News. Recovery in the News. Recovery. Yeah, yeah. This week on recovery in the in the news, uh, it's actually drinking in the news. Um, we have a article from uh, businesswire.com. Um, you've heard of IHOP, the International House of Pancakes? I have. You know they changed their name from International House of Pancakes to IHOP. Did you know that? Did they? Okay. Yeah, it's sort of like um, there's that other company that did the same thing. Kentucky Fried Chicken is now KFC. just KFC. But uh, I guess they really should be changing their name to International House of Pancreatitis because they are adding, uh, they've taken the step of adding wines, beers, and champagne to their menus in selected locations. They are, uh, I don't, I, these, are they com uh, countrywide? They probably are, right? IHOP, the International House of Pancakes, is a um, breakfast spot, one would say, even though they have other things on the menu and people do eat there at other times of the day. But, um, they unveiled their new libations menu, 
which they're calling Bubbles, Wines, and Brews, available at select locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exclusive menu features domestically and locally sourced beers as well as wine options. And the new menu is available at three IHOP restaurants in San Diego and New Mexico and will continue its expansion to New York, Rhode Island, and Maryland and Ohio. Um, it's a soft launch because it allows them to pilot test and learn from guest receptivity and feedback to optimize the menu rollout. Um, it includes mimosas and wines from Barefoot by the Glass, as well as beer from Bud Light, Blue Moon, and Corona. Um, the new beverage menu is available for dine-in only. Uh, they unveiled some statistics that they said 66% of recent guests <laughs> and 58% of younger guests have been craving an alcoholic beverage to accompany their pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Um, and now... Well, they, um, they offer the Barefoot Bubbly Brute, Barefoot Bubbly Chardonnay, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And they actually... Um, is that for breakfast, too? Or is it well, just like 24-7? They, they put out a, a pairing, a suggested pairing. Amazing. Yes. Uh, what goes with the Tutti Frutti Fresh uh, and Fruity? I don't know, but... Rosé, They suggest the Barefoot Chardonnay is a perfect accompaniment to French toast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and... Um, is there a sommelier from IHOP? I'm sorry. Um, the barefoot bubbly brute mimosa cuts through the richness of IHOP's original French toast, uh, pairing a glass of smooth, medium-bodied barefoot Chardonnay with the big flavors of IHOP's Southwest Chicken Burrito Bowl. Um, so I don't know. That to me, that's a little fucked up. But um, I mean, is there any place in society that is free from having no. alcohol jammed down your throat? I mean, no. I always looked at IHOP as the place to go with the kids for pancakes in the morning. Now the waitress is going to come over and say, can I get you anything to drink? Yeah. And they're going to be... McDonald's too is going to do that, I'm they sure. They are? I've heard that. There's well, you been can get McWine in France. <laughs> of course, the French right. are drunk 24-7. <laughs> um, I mean, when I noticed alcohol available at Chuck E. Cheese's, when I was deep into my alcohol addiction, I mean, I when we'd be at a party, guess who's sneaking over and grabbing a beer? Uh, at I used Chuck to love e. the availability Jesus. of of booze at Chuck E. Cheese. Oh my God. <laughs> it's the one, it's one of those places you're so happy to have yes. a drink. Like a kid's yeah. birthday party at the bowling alley, yep. you know, okay, you can sneak off into that seedy little bar, but Chuck E. Cheese, it's like you, a giant rat will give you a glass of, <laughs> a glass of beer. It's fucking great. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it's ubiquitous. But, I mean, what do you think about that? Should you be able to get um, a glass of Chardonnay, you pair it with your French toast? Or? I think... You should, why not? You know, IHOP's a restaurant. They have the right to serve alcohol and people have the right to consume it. Whether they should or not, is I don't think they should, but, you know, this is not communist Russia. I just think it's a uh, communist Russia where everybody had medical, medical care and <laughs> adequate food and yeah, all right. that stuff. Woodka. Okay. And so that is Recovering That's the News. It. Oops. Yeah. It's only, the, right. it's only the 50th show. I'll get, I'll get the board right someday. Happy anniversary. <laughs> well, that about does it for today, folks. We no. Have... no. No. There's the Week and Weird. Oh. Week and Weird. Were you just going to skip that on the 50th I, anniversary show? I was show? on the wrong page. <laughs> Monstrous Ancient Dragon Discovered. <laughs> By Tim Banal. Researchers in Australia have discovered the remains of an ancient and rather monstrous-looking flying reptile that has been likened to a dragon. Mm. The menacing creature was reportedly identified by way of a three-foot-long skull that was unearthed in northwest Queensland. Given the scientific name, Thap... 
Pungaka Shawi, the pterosaur boasted a whopping 23-foot wingspan and his menacing maw contained approximately 40 teeth. It's the closest thing that we have to a real-life dragon, marveled lead researcher Tim Richards of the University of Queensland. Quote, it was essentially just a skull with a long neck bolted on a pair of long wings. He went on to muse that the ancient creature was likely a fearsome beast with a spear-like mouth that would swoop down on unsuspecting prey. It would have cast a great shadow over some quivering little dinosaurs who wouldn't have heard them coming until it was too late, Richard said. Envisioning the pterosaur on the hunt, the fossilized skull was actually discovered a decade ago by a prospector who stumbled upon the proverbial scientific treasure. The name of the pterosaur recognizes his role in bringing the long-lost reptile to light and also honors the native Wanamara people who inhabited the region where the fossil was found. Um, I, I think... A dragon. You know what I think? What? I think that's somebody trying to build up hype for a new dinosaur that they're going to throw up at a museum somewhere. They're going to call it a dragon when really it's just a dinosaur. Y- you want to hear what I think? Yeah. So, my theory on dragons. Look, there's dragons in ancient art and cultures all over the world. You see them in, you know, Asia, dragons, and uh, India, I think, and uh, other places. (laughs) Sure. Oh, in England, St. George and the Dragon. Of course. Um, My thought is that these were not mythical, that like dinosaurs, they did exist, and it's just a matter of time until we discover the bones. And find a witch dragon How to ride. I've never seen one in any like history of Europe or anything like written. They're, they're all over tapestries and you know in cave art and things of that. Are nature. they? Yeah, dragons are everywhere. Uh, so that's that's my. Uh, I don't know. My I theory. mean, maybe it's just a c- collective myth. I think there's no dragons. shared myth. Collective I think, unconscious. I think not only that they live in the hollow earth, uh, sitting in, on their hordes of gold. Yeah, surrounded, guarded by dwarves with. Axes. Wait, you didn't see The Hobbit? I mean, that was a documentary. (laughs) It's my favorite documentary. And that is This Week in Weird. That about does it for today. We had a great time as always. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt. We have these awesome new t-shirts. Please look out for it. I just have to set it up so that people can buy it. We're going to take photos. Um, They're really, 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 really cool. You're going to want one. Um, I'm really excited to, to get these in. Um, write us, Mike R or Nat X at middleagesrecovery.com. We love meeting the monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non profici et perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Be good.